You're listening to What It's Like With Luce, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by founder and CEO of Popperty, the first global platform that uses artificial intelligence to match audiences with locations. In other words, Airbnb for pop-up shops. From a young age, this guest knew she was entrepreneurial. So when the time came to leave behind a successful career in the corporate nine to five to pursue her dream of becoming her own boss, she didn't have to think twice. Chatting everything from taking part in The Irish Apprentice to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, here's what it's like to be Lucinda Kelly. Before we get stuck into the episode, I just wanted to say that if there is a drop in sound quality throughout, I'm very sorry. But in respect of social distancing during COVID-19, I've had to record episodes remotely. In this challenging time, we're all trying our best, so I really hope everyone is staying safe and that you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Lucinda. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. To start everything off, it'd be good to go all the way back to the very beginning and um, find out a little bit more about what it was like growing up for you? Yeah, no problem at all. So um, yeah, I'm from Dublin um, and I grew up um, in Dundrum with three brothers and I was always very entrepreneurial um, and I went to UCD followed by Smurfer Business School um, but was always very interested in business. And so um, I saw that when you went to UCD, you decided to study information studies in French. How come you didn't uh, maybe go down the more businessy route straight off the bat? Um, well, actually, funny enough, I had started in Trinity and I didn't like the course I was doing. So I dropped out the Christmas before and went to live in France. Oh, wow. um, and then I kind of, at that age, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I thought, arts I'd done information studies French and economics through the arts program in UCD and I thought that was a good basis and broad degree to, to study um, and it was really only when I was in UCD um, and focused on the information studies more than even the French I always liked languages but realized that I was more interested in business and hence going on to study entrepreneurial studies in Smurfit Business School. And then when you left Smurfit did you leave with a business in mind or did you go more into the kind of corporate office route first? Um, Yeah, no, I definitely didn't have a business in mind, even though I knew I always wanted to set up my own business. What I wanted to do for a few years was get really good experience. Um, So I had interviewed for a couple of the graduate programs and sort of was getting close, but not getting them. But the one I did get was um, Invest Northern Ireland run a program similar to IBEC in South of Ireland. So I got on that program to pick up business skills and lived up in Belfast for a couple of months um, and then did the program um, based in Dublin. So that was a really good experience. And then from there, I worked more into sort of business type roles. And so uh, what did you move to from your graduate program or did you stay within the same company? Um, so no, I didn't. I was working in a company that specialized in building consultancy um, and it wasn't really, to be honest, I wasn't really interested in it. I didn't really enjoy it but um, it gets you closer to what you think you want to do. So from there, I moved to the Irish Youth Hostel Association as marketing executive at the time. Um, And that was really fun. And digital marketing was getting really big at the time, particularly with Hostel World leading, not only in Ireland, but globally with, with online marketing campaigns. The hostel space was good to learn from them and drive digital marketing uh, for the hostel group. 
Um, and yeah, that was great. And I saw that you also, you applied to be on The Apprentice and you took part in that, um, that process and you came forth. So when was that moment that you decided to, to pursue that? So yeah, after Onoiga, the Irish Youth Hostel Association, I went to Student Travel Card, uh, which I loved that job. And then after that, I went to Aircom. And while I was in Aircom, I had been watching the very first time it was out on TV and I was like, God, I'd love to give that a go. So year two was the year I did it, applied and got it. And I thought at the time, I was like, I can win this. <laughs> so, and I wasn't on 100 grand. I was like, I'm going to make money from this. I'm going <laughs> to. And so that's how I got into it and did it. And that was, that was great fun, bit of an experience. What was your pitch for your business idea? Well, actually, funny enough, they didn't, what the, the winner gets is a role with Bill Cullen at the time. So it's not like the current one with Alan Sugar where you pitch your business, um, but it's actually a job within his group. So I would have, if I'd won it, I would be working within his group. Oh. Um, but to be honest, I would have loved it, yeah, if you were able to pitch a business. And I still watch the UK one and I'm kind of like, God, am I too old to do that again? Um, but fair play to the people that do it. I really admire them. And what was that experience like? Just, I think, even from the whole background of, you know, being on on TV and things, do you think that it helped you in your career as a businesswoman or or how was the response to it moving forward afterwards? Um, that's a good question. I think what it really helps you with is confidence in groups, confidence in pitching to groups. And um, like, it didn't really hugely help with my business skills, but I suppose to do with communication skills, it did. And it all adds up to who you are as a business person and rounded with different skill sets. But um, the actual business side of it, I wouldn't have learned that much because it, it would be a little bit more focused towards TV. Um, so you wouldn't really get a chance to, to learn new business skills, but, but definitely from a sort of communication and getting confidence. And certainly it's helped me now, you know, with property. Um, I don't mind pitching. I don't get nervous in big rooms or standing up in front of people. Um, and if you go back to when I was in Smurf at business school, I remember I was petrified, not being able to sleep, thinking I'd have to stand up in front of people and present. I hated it. I was so nervous. Um, so I think that's what really helped with The Apprentice. You were forced into the limelight. And now with anything related to that, it, it definitely helps me with um, with investor meetings or with pitch competitions or the life because it, or, or similar because um, I just don't get nervous. Yeah, I'd say that's a big positive for you, especially when you were starting out, because I know that's probably a big part maybe of why people get deterred from it, because they don't think they can you know hold themselves enough to stand in front of people absolutely and I think particularly female founders or females um a lot of the time don't have as much confidence as men and I think um that's what sometimes sometimes don't say always but a lot of the time sometimes they have better businesses great businesses and um a lot of the time it's down to confidence so anything that helps the confidence um is great and so after the apprentice you moved into paddy power is that right right before you did property so yeah after the apprentice i was back in aircom and i got promoted into the e-mobile team at the time um and then when e-mobile launched i left and i moved into paddy power and worked with paddy power for four and a half years before setting up property do you remember the moment because I, I think it sounds like you've had a really successful career and a really um rounded career within the corporate world so it must have been quite 
maybe potentially a bit daunting when you came across the feeling that you did want to leave and go out on your own. So do you remember the the exact moment when in your head you were kind of like, no, I need to leave. I need to do this for myself. To be honest, like for me, it's been brewing since I think I was born and I was always entrepreneurial. And like, I think if I didn't have my parents behind me, I would have gone out earlier, but they were the ones that sort of said to me, stay in the corporate world and learn and, and you know, make your mistakes in that environment um but I was always egging to set up my own and always did bits and pieces on the side and was always very entrepreneurial and I think with everything and the age I was at um I had been thinking about ideas for 18 months before I left Paddy Power and um, I knew I wanted to make a move and I did look at other corporate options but I was like no it's now or never and I didn't know for sure what I was going to do I'd sort of ideas, I had three or four different ideas, but one thing I was certain was I was going to make it happen. Um, but yeah, like it, it just, yeah, I just took it from there. And then I was determined, which I'm a little bit pigheaded or determined, I'm not sure which it is, but um, I had a really good support behind me from a really good network of contacts um, who gave really good early advice as well on how to go about it and recommendations to work with Enterprise Ireland, recommendations to go on the NDRC accelerator program and some really good early stage decisions um, were made based on, on on my network of contacts. And how did you come up with the initial idea for property? So my family background is retail and property and I had actually interviewed for Airbnb and really liked the um, the whole shared economy model and really it wasn't on day one that it was going to be Airbnb for pop-ups it just sort of came together um, and when I think back, the first, I did um, a program with Enterprise Ireland called New Frontiers. Mm-hmm. And that was a very early idea, which was kind of like reusing spaces for uh, through an Airbnb type platform. And through that program, which was great, it, it, it's a part-time one for part one or for phase one. You validate your proposition. Um, and I got a little bit closer to what I wanted to do. And then by the end of the year, I applied for the NDRC Accelerator and at that stage, it was very clearly Airbnb for pop-ups. Um, and yeah, from there it evolved and it evolved the following year into more data-focused business. Um, but that's all through customer validation. So it's not like I knew from day one that this is what I want to do. What I did know was I wanted to set up my own business. And what I did know is I didn't want to fail, even though it's good to fail. <laughs> I kind of wanted to get it right. But I certainly didn't, the day I left Paddy Power, I certainly did not know 100% what my business was going to be. I think the most interesting part is how you use artificial intelligence as well to collect data to help people understand where they should should put their space. So how did you kind of implement that? Well, it was again through validation and talking to brands and marketing agencies and the, the first pivot from the from the basic platform was based on brands seeking more data to to confirm or validate why they're doing experiential marketing in the physical world. So new age marketers are very used to having analytics for targeting and measuring in, in the digital world. So, you know, you're off when you're doing digital marketing campaigns, you have amazing analytics for measurement and optimizing and A-B testing and all that. Whereas when we were speaking to brands and agencies, they, they were spending big budgets on PR like we did when we were in Paddy Power or when I was, um, and also for pop-ups yet, there was no way to determine or why um, 
or actually better understand what audiences were engaging. So that's how the pivot kind of happened. Uh, when we did our seed round in 2017, we had um, a proof of concept using social media APIs, um, which would enable us to better understand um, audiences, audience um, behaviors um, by geoproximity. However, that data, when, when, we, when we started to sort of really see check-in on accuracies, I suppose, we realized we needed better data. Um, and that's how we knocked on the door of, or I did, of Telefonica to see was there an opportunity to access their data from their 27 million handsets. And really right now, not only is Telefonica an investor of property, but they provide us with the backbone of our data set or the data that we're actually building out. So we have access to not only data that's triangulated from the masts, which is about 100 to 150 meter radius, but we also have access to data for measuring from a five meter radius upwards real time. Um, and this is hugely powerful for the brands that we're working with that are now really, really having to go to senior managers and senior management and say, look, this is what happened in this event. And this is why we think we should do more of it. And that's the data that that um, property can provide its customers. And with this data as well, since you're pulling in locations from from phones and from people's um, activity on their phone, did you ever come across any privacy issues with that? I mean, that's the number one question. I suppose, firstly, anything we do is anonymized and aggregated and completely GDPR compliant. Um, and certainly the likes of Telefonica would never pass data to, to property if they're in any way in jeopardy with, with any regulation or data privacy. Um, I suppose for property, we got challenged an awful lot with uh, future investors on, on where data is going to go in the future. And, and we're hugely mindful of this. So although the data we consume from both apps, we take a lot from media apps in the UK, but also obviously the cellular data. Um, and there's a huge amount of work done to ensure uh, data privacy. We believe that there will be a GDPR v2 and potentially v3, and and acts are changing globally all the time. So we just need to be mindful of that. Um, and I do think it is a sensitive topic. And I do think, with regards to not only investors but but partners supplying data, there is um, there is not not a nervousness, but just a sort of keeping an eye on the industry and seeing how much it's changing in the future. But we are, with our partners that we can see the data from, we're just very mindful of this and ensure that we're on top of any legislation. How was it for you during your rounds of investment? Did it go well from the beginning or was there, was there challenges within that process? Um, I mean, there's always challenges. Like I have been rejected so many times you kind of get a spit skin with rejection in the beginning you take it really personally but you just keep going um we had a very easy early ride i think from you know getting enterprise ireland to get the csf we won a couple of competitions um and the seed round we we were very we were supported by enterprise ireland on their hpsu which was great um and the telephonica investment was great as well but yeah, so it's it's not been easy. It sounds when people, when you tell your story and you're like, we did this and this and this. That's great, but don't forget behind the scenes, there's a huge amount of rejection. So you just get used to it, and also you can't take it personally because you have to realise that there are investors that have so many different opinions, and um, you just take in what you think is relevant to you, and you hope that you learn from that and improve um, on on with their feedback. Yeah, because I'm sure it's such a difficult thing when you've put so much 
blood, sweat and tears into this product and business idea that you really believe in to then be told by this one person, oh, no, we don't think it's great or, or whatever. So I'm sure that's never easy to take. But as you said, the more you do it, I guess you get used to it. And then if you keep plodding away at it, it will happen for you eventually as, as you're living proof of that. Yeah. And also the thing is that like I've learned, particularly in the UK in the last 18 months, that there's so many inv- investors that are actually just looking at the competitive landscape. They're interested. They kind of want to meet you and they actually don't even have the money. So you just have to be fully aware that you've got to go through this process. You cannot take it personally. And, and actually, sometimes the one, the one investor that you think isn't, you're like, I oh, know, I'm not sure about them. They might be the one um, that are the one that go with you or not. So it's just, it's an absolute game. And you just have to play it as best as you can and try not to take any feedback or anything negative personally. So you went, you went through all the process, you got all of your backing, you now had this great product and you were ready to start growing a client base and getting people on board to use it so how do you think you did that um I I think one of my strengths is relationships and I was always good at knocking on doors and getting in and and then sort of selling the dreams so by having and also again I had a good network for my corporate life and having that helping with intros or helping with with that business development was really handy so that part I'm comfortable with um, I think the challenge we had was that the development of the whole technology and all the different data sources and making it accurate took longer than we actually thought it would. Um, and but the good news is all the pilots that we've done and what we've worked with is has we've got an amazing or got amazing feedback from from customers. Was there a moment for you when you kind of were able to sit back and and realize that you had made a success of this business? Maybe I don't know securing of a really big client or or something like that (laughs) not really no I don't think you ever feel that way I think I think it's weird but I think it's only maybe two years later that you look back and go oh my god that was actually really good but when you're in the the thick of it like particularly right now with COVID it's a really really hard time for us like um so it's hard for me to celebrate anything right now but um it definitely it, yeah, like like there are wins along the way, but I think because as a founder and founder CEO, you're so in the thick of it the whole time and you tend to, and you try not to, like you have to be positive, but you tend to always think, oh, sugar, and you're, you're focused on the, the difficult things, the challenging things, the things you don't like, because that's what you are as a founder, you're growing and fixing things. Um, so it's only really, I find personally in hindsight that I look back and go, God, that was a good job to so say, you know, we've, we've done pilots with some really big brands. We've got some really big customers. We've got really good, big PR. We've won competitions. We, we've raised money. And yeah, it's only in hindsight, I look back at some of the big wins, but I find it hard when people, particularly the last few years are like, oh, you've done so well. And it's great. I never feel that way at all because to me, my job's not done. I think a lot of founders are like that. Um, it's only if founders could take the step back and see what everyone else sees, you know, most are brilliant to go and set up for their own uh, on their own and no one knows the challenges they go through. But when you're in, in the thick of it, it's hard for you to be like, I'm, I'm brilliant at this. I'm doing a great job. I can imagine it's quite addictive. Once you kind of start building something, you're always looking towards reaching the next goal and the next goal. So I can understand why maybe um, it's difficult to ever kind of I feel like maybe you don't ever plateau when you're the founder and owner of a business because there's always something more you feel like you can do. Definitely. And like I've, particularly with COVID, I've read a couple of books the last few weeks on the the big guys, you know, the ones that have had 
together, even if it's WeWork or it's Uber or some HubSpot. And, you know, these founders, you know, we all look at them over the last whatever amount of years and go, they're amazing, but they are at it the whole time and the challenges. So I don't think you can ever have a moment if where you sit back and kind of go, I'm, I'm doing a great job. Um, of course, you know you're doing a great job, but you just can't relax when you're piloting the show. What do you think was the biggest challenge for you personally and, and then in terms of your business as well when you, throughout the whole process of becoming a founder and then also getting your business off the ground? Yeah, so so I think personally, I, you know, I put everything into property and everything else took a back seat um, and I moved to London and I was sort of 24-7 doing it. So that probably was quite unbalanced. I am back in Dublin now and trying to get a better balance on that side. I think I always thought I wouldn't be the one that would fall into the trap, but I can put my hand up and say I have. When you raise money, you have what's called a runway. And basically your runway is how much money you have left until you need to raise further investment. Um, And on, on an average, when you do a seed round, you have about 18 months runway. And I have always been good with money, but development takes longer and I'd been told that and I was like no way it won't but it did take longer with us so we had to shrink the size of the team last year in order to grow back up again Um, and that was a big challenge and I think that I suppose would be my advice as well is that even though you're pretty confident on your runway and what you think it's gonna gonna cost and how much you're gonna make kind of a lot of the time And I hear it from a lot of founders, it's so difficult and it always takes longer than you think. So that's something you need to be mindful of. What does the future hold for property? Do you have any any big plans or is it just to maintain the growth and uh, the user experience? Yeah, so so right now, a lot of our bookings, in fact, I could quite confidently say nearly all of them. There's probably a few, well, there's bookings, but they might be pushed out, are on hold because of covid um, where you have to manage our cash flow, of course. But I do think with us, with property, uh, working in the retail space, there's a much bigger opportunity for us post-COVID. Um, and that's based on retail has always been a challenge, already has been a challenge the last few years. But post-COVID, there's going to be a higher vacancy rate. Um, and I think some of the, the online and digital first brands Um, are doing very well at the moment and they'll be looking for growth opportunities which will be potentially good for property where we match more uh, digital native brands into vacant spaces. Um, Already the last couple of weeks we have more landlords coming to us because they know what's coming Um, and particularly as some of the big retailers they've stopped paying their rent um, and our gut is that some of the retailers won't be in a position to open back up after covid So there probably is an opportunity for property with that to grow the business more. And I think for us now, it's a good time to reflect. And a lot of the other founders are saying that as well, to really think about what's important in your business and go back and look at the value proposition. So for property, we'll get through this. Um, And it's hard for everyone. It is hard for us. But I think think it just gives us a chance to think about um, how we can grow this even more when 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 retail will struggle so much on the back of of this epidemic. It sounds like in a strange way there might be an opportunity that's presented out of this terrible pandemic, but afterwards it, it sounds like there might be a lot of room for for property to really grow and excel. It's hard on on the landlords who will struggle, the retail focused ones, um, and 
what all we can do as a business is try and help them by bringing brands to their spaces and marketing the proposition. Um, and then on the data front around that, brands, particularly the digital native brands, will want uh, want to better understand their audiences and all the data that we provide them. If they're doing more in the bricks and mortar world, then there's more requirement for the data from property as well. So that too should grow, fingers crossed. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and then going back to you as an individual, I'd be interested to know what your idea of success is or what that word means to you. Oh God, do you know, it's really funny because because of COVID and being locked up, like, it's a very reflective time for everybody. So success for me is not just about property succeeding anymore. Whereas before I was singularly focused on that. Um, and success in general is about balance and about, now we're getting into two things, but being happy and fulfilling things beyond just the business side as well. So success, if yeah, it's, it just, it's more than just driving a successful business. Um, and I think it's important that your your team are healthy, your team are minded, you keep a very good culture within the business and you show that you're honest. Uh, I think this has been such an interesting, weird, strange time for everyone. But if there is one positive that will come out of it, it's that I think it's really giving people time from their crazy hectic lives that everyone is kind of almost striving to have now because it's seen as you're really successful if you're so busy that you can't even breathe you know and I think it's giving people time to sit back and really understand what they want from their life and then what is actually important to them so I don't know it'll be interesting to see how how the world kind of changes once we all come out of this I think. That's it and I think a lot of people they're having a chance to reflect and I think a lot of people will continue working from home once the business will allow them. That will change. And I think, I think probably people in jobs, once everything stabilizes, might actually change their careers based on this and thinking about what they really, really want and what really makes them happy. And that's the benefit of this COVID is actually giving you a chance to really reflect and, and do the things, just allow you to think more, walk do your meditation, your yoga, your fitness, and, and think about what's important to you. If I put your 10 year old self in front of you now from the position that you're sitting in today having been through everything that you've been through and everything that you've achieved what is the biggest piece of advice you would give your 10 year old self that's a really good question I'm just picturing myself at 10 in front of me here it's <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a piece of advice I think I would say and what would I say Listen, I suppose that's it. Listen to others and, and use your network of people around you. And maybe when I think about myself as a 10 year old, to say 10 to 15, I was quite introvert and not as extrovert. And maybe like I used to play a lot of sport and maybe just, I would say, just really take a chance to learn. If you're 10 and it's a chance to read, it's a chance to listen to your elders and actually learn as much as you can. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please rate, share, and leave a comment if you like what you hear. And don't forget to follow at What It's Like Pod on Instagram and Facebook. For more information on poverty, visit the link in the show notes. I'll be back on Thursday at 12 p.m. with more inspiring stories. But for now, this has been What It's Like with Luce. <laughs>